Well, hey, everybody, so great to be with you once again today. And quick housekeeping note, uh, as many of you know, we had some pretty significant issues with our internet connection last week. And so I wanted to thank you for your patience as we continue to navigate some pretty interesting waters as a community. The good news is, as far as we know, today's connection is stable and solid. And last week's talk is available for you to stream on demand. Anyway, if you weren't able to watch last Sunday's service, let me take a minute to catch you up on what we covered. I began the series by noting that all too often in our lives, something's missing. It's missing in our relationships. It's missing in our culture. It's missing in our world. And then I went on to suggest that this something that's all too often missing is grace. Grace is undeserved favor and unconditional acceptance. Grace is giving someone precisely what they don't deserve. And in our world, it's easy to see that grace is in short supply. And I think I know why. Grace can be tricky because honestly, it's hard to receive and even harder to give. When it's extended to us, it always feels too good to be true. And when we're challenged to extend it to others, well, we don't want to because they don't deserve it. We don't want to let them off the hook after what they've done to us. We want them to pay. So we naturally resist grace, whichever way it wants to flow. What we do instead is that what we decide to do unto others as they have done unto us. And that feels right. That's natural. And so even though we can all acknowledge that grace is often the thing that's missing in our world, and, and even though we can imagine that our world would be a much better place if it had more grace in it, if we're honest, we're often more a part of the problem than we are the solution. That's where we landed last week. And now with our time this morning, I want to ask a really interesting question. At least it's interesting to me. The question goes like this. Has it always been this way? In other words, have people always struggled to show grace to one another? And if not, what happened? And is there any hope that things can ever get better? Well, it might surprise you to learn that a pastor named Paul answers those questions in a letter to Christians living in the city of Rome around 2,000 years ago. In the verses we're going to explore today, Paul actually affirms that, well, it hasn't always been this way. He notes that once upon a time, a long, long time ago, planet Earth was filled with grace. In fact, the first people, the Bible's authors called them Adam and Eve, they were created to exist in a world overflowing with grace. Each day they received what they didn't earn and didn't deserve from God. In fact, in this world of grace, there was only one rule. God phrased it this way to the first people. He told them, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, it's worth noting that when God made that promise, Adam and Eve wouldn't have had any idea what death was, other than that it was the consequence for choosing not to trust God. Anyway, the human story begins with grace, and it remained that way until the day Adam and Eve chose to disobey God's instruction. They sinned. And as promised, their sin brought death into the world. It's also worth noting that at that very moment, grace, for the most part, left. And what remained was a world we know all too well where relationships and really all of human culture are characterized by a lack of grace. Suddenly everyone did unto others what had been done unto them. In a graceless world, I expect you to treat me the way I deserve to be treated. And you expect me to treat you the way you deserve to be treated. 
Uh, but, but of course, the problem is that my estimation of what I deserve is different than your estimation of what I deserve. So we live in a world of payback and watch your back, a world distinctly lacking grace. But, but there's more because when grace left, uh, people immediately felt that their relationship with God was broken. And, and consequently, they had a sense that they had to somehow earn their way back into a right standing with him. They felt obligated to do everything they could to demonstrate their goodness in the hopes that they would eventually be declared worthy of his love. By the way, this is why as human religions developed all over the world, they began by recognizing that there's a good God in a good heaven waiting for good people to be good enough to reach him. And they sought to tell people how to reach that goal. They taught that God would give people exactly what they deserved. So you better be good for goodness sake or else. Adam and Eve knew nothing of that way of thinking until the day they broke the rule. And on that day, as we've said, grace largely went out the back door and sin and death came in the front. And we've been dealing with the consequences of that reality ever since. Now, with all of that as a background, let me show you how Paul explains where grace went and God's plan to bring it back. Paul describes it this way. Uh, he writes, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. In other words, God had told Adam and Eve that if they ate fruit from the forbidden tree, they would sin and then they would die. God had warned them that if they left the world of grace and they would get exactly what they deserved, and they did. And they did. Now in this passage, Paul also notes that because all humans descend from Adam, when Adam sinned, we all sinned. To which a whole bunch of us want to raise our hands and say, hey, hey, wait, that's not fair. And to be clear, it's not fair. But here's what we all need to understand. We'll, we'll, we'll phrase it this way. Fairness ended in the Garden of Eden. In fact, since the Garden of Eden, nothing has been fair. Now, as Paul goes on, he notes something fascinating that would have captured the attention of early Jewish Christians. He writes, To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given. In other words, before God revealed the law to the children of Israel at Mount Sinai, sin was already in the world. Paul wants his Jewish readers to understand even before people knew they were sinners, they were sinners. He goes on. He says, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. In other words, when we're not aware of what God expects of us, it's tempting to think that we're doing okay. We don't think of ourselves as sinners because, well, we don't know what sin is. But, but he writes, once the law came, once God revealed the way he wanted his people to live, once God set the standard, the people realized that things were worse than they had thought. Prior to the law, people knew they weren't perfect, but they didn't realize the depths of their own depravity. But once God's standards were revealed, people recognized how far they had fallen. And Paul goes on to say, Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. Even, he goes on, over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. 
In other words, even when there was no law, death reigned. Even when people didn't know where they stood with God, death reigned. Once sin entered the world, it affected everyone and everything. And death reigned over all of us. Physically, emotionally, relationally, spiritually. Because death is the consequence of sin. All that to say, we were born into a world where everybody gets what they deserve because grace went out the back door in the Garden of Eden and sin and death came in the front. Now, as Paul continues, things get hopeful. His tone changes dramatically. Here's what he writes. He says, but the gift, and we'll come back to that, the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, that's, that's Adam, he goes on, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Notice that Paul draws a one-to-one correlation in this verse. He writes that just as the whole world died because of the sin of the one man, just as the one man did one thing that impacted the entire human race negatively, Paul writes that one man, that's Jesus, did one thing when he died on the cross after living a life free from sin that impacted the entire human race positively. He notes that Adam's act of disobedience caused grace to flee and crash the world into sin and death. But then he writes that Jesus' one act of obedience counterbalanced and overturned what had been done by Adam. Then as he continues, he gives us some more details. He writes, nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. He goes on, he says, the judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift, there it is again, followed many trespasses and brought justification. Now, justification is a word we don't use much anymore. But in this context, it means that the gift Jesus offers us is the opportunity to stand before God as if we've never sinned or broken even one of his laws. In this passage, Paul is saying that just as Adam's one sin brought condemnation for the whole human race, the gift of Jesus, the gift Jesus offers us all the potential for justification for the whole human race. Practically, that means that it's possible for people like you and me to know in this life, right here and right now, where we stand with God, that we are at peace with God. Now, if Paul's right, this is a game changer because religion has historically been driven by a sense of insecurity. In most religions, you don't know where you stand with God. You never really know how good you need to be and how good is good enough to be okay with them. And so religious leaders just simply give you a list of things to do and a list of things not to do. But see, if Paul's right, if justification before God was actually possible and it was possible to know in this life, well, that would change everything. Now, at this point, a few of Paul's readers would have wanted to raise their hand and ask a question because they had sinned. And they knew they couldn't stand before God as if they had never sinned before. So they would want to know, Paul, how is this possible? And in response, Paul would point to that thing he calls the gift. Because Paul would say, to accept the gift 
is to step away from the entire system that says you get what you deserve. And that gift is grace. And it's not fair. Because grace is not fair. Grace is way, 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 way better than fair. And the fact that we wouldn't necessarily do that for anybody is kind of irrelevant because this isn't about us. As Paul continues, his argument becomes clearer. He writes, For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, he says, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? In other words, Paul would say, do you know what God wants you to receive as a free gift of grace? Righteousness. You see, righteousness is, is like justification. It's right standing with him. Righteousness is being able to come to God knowing you have nothing to prove and nothing to pay for. You can know that he won't count your sins against you so you can stop negotiating with him. You can stop promising to stop doing things and to start doing things in order to get God to do something for you. Because once you've received the gift of righteousness, you already have the thing you know you need. Because you can stand justified before God. You've been reintroduced to a world of grace. I mean, prior to receiving the gift of righteousness, your world and your relationships and your culture were characterized by everybody getting what they deserved and everybody doing their best to get their fair share. But Paul says, if you will receive the gift of a right standing with God, that gift has the potential to leak into all of your other relationships. Your life can actually be different. Your life can actually be better right here and right now. And not because of your own efforts at righteousness, but because you've received a gift of righteousness. Now, let me tell you why people in 2020, actually, let me tell you why people for the last 2,000 years have struggled with this. It has to do with the world in which we were raised. I mean, think about it. You were graded throughout your education, right? A's, B's, C's, D's. There really wasn't much grace about it. It was all about performance. And so it's only natural to suspect that God must be somehow grading you too. And since you had to like run fast and jump high in order to make it as an athlete, there really wasn't much grace involved. We think God must be looking for people who spiritually speaking can run fast and jump high too. And since you had to outperform the other candidates in order to land your job, once again, not much grace. You suspect that God must have some sort of interview process as well. I mean, why would God be any different? And so it's natural to take our expectations of gracelessness and place them on God. Here's what that looks like. It's when you say to yourself, I mean, I believe in Jesus, but I still need to do more to be okay with God. I mean, the good I need to do needs to somehow outweigh the bad. And because of this, we struggle to embrace the reality that God wants to give us a right standing with him that has nothing to do with our personal righteousness. Our personal righteousness is, is kind of irrelevant because, well, we can't be good enough. He had to give it to us. We could never earn it. We could never deserve it. It had to be a gift. Paul goes on. He writes, consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, 
so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. He goes on, he says, For just as through the disobedience of the one man, that's Adam, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, that's Jesus, the many will be made righteous. Paul writes that when Jesus died on the cross, he activated the potential for all people to have a right standing with God if they simply receive the free gift of grace. And by the way, this is why the birth of Jesus was good news and great joy for all people. In Jesus, all people have the opportunity to accept the gift of right standing with God. The invitation is wide open. And you may be sitting on your couch thinking, yeah, that sounds great, but I don't deserve it. And if that's you, you need to know the fact that you don't feel like you deserve it is kind of irrelevant because it's grace. By definition, it's undeserved. Or you might say, well, I do deserve it more than some people. And that's also kind of irrelevant because grace doesn't give you what you deserve. It gives you precisely what you don't deserve. Well, when sin and death entered, grace went out the back door. But on Christmas, God brought grace back. And it came in the form of a little baby who lived a life you and I could never live and who died for the sins that you and I committed. And when we receive that reality, when we receive that gift of grace, then we can know where we stand before God we stand before God as if we'd never sinned at all. Well, here's how I want to close our time today. As I was preparing, I, I found myself wondering that, that maybe for a few of you, today's the first time that you really understood grace. And if that's you, if today is the first time, you see that God wants to give you the gift of a right standing with him with no strings attached, then, then I want to give you an opportunity to receive, that's Paul's word, receive the gift right now. And if that's you, I would just encourage you to, to pray a simple prayer with me. It, it's, not, it's not a magic prayer. The prayer doesn't activate anything. It's your act of faith that activates it. But just a simple prayer, it, it goes like this. So join me. Heavenly Father, I believe that the way I receive a right standing with you is by grace. I understand that my goodness will never achieve righteousness. I believe I'm a sinner and I was born a sinner. And I believe that the one act of Jesus dying on the cross is the one act of righteousness in which you were interested. And so right here, right now, I receive what he did on my behalf. I receive the gift of righteousness. Thank you that at Christmas, grace came back. Help me as I begin to live into that reality. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer, even if it doesn't feel like it, a new chapter of your life, has just begun. It's a new day filled with new hope and new opportunity because God has plans to use you as an ambassador of grace 
in your world. And that's actually what we're going to talk about next week. But until that time, I wanted to give you a few questions to discuss with whoever you do life with. Three questions. Uh, they go like this. Here's number one. And prior to today, what did you think God wanted from you? What do you think, what did you think he wanted for you? In other words, understanding grace causes a seismic shift in how we think about God. I mean, if we believe that God wants obedience from us in order to be right with him, then it's easy to see him as a cosmic police officer in the sky waiting to pull us over for speeding. But see, if we see obedience to God flowing as a way to say thank you to him for the right standing we already have, then we begin to see him as Jesus wants us to see him as our heavenly father. Okay, that's, that's question one. Uh, question two goes like this. Uh, do you struggle to see yourself as a person who needs God's grace? Why or why not? Uh, you should know that if you answer yes to this question, you're in good company. The Bible's authors record that one of the biggest struggles to people uh, coming to faith is, is really not understanding their own need for it. They have an overinflated sense of their own ability to be good enough. And if that's you, I'd encourage you to consider what Paul writes about how we're all born in sin, as well as the fact that God's standard for righteousness is perfection. Those two ideas have the potential to reframe how you see yourself and bring you to a spot where you're actually ready to receive grace. Okay, one more. Uh, third question goes like this. If you struggle with the idea of unconditional grace, try to verbalize why. Uh, this one gets to the heart of the fact that grace seems too good to be true. And, and if this is your struggle, try to figure out why you feel that way and what it tells us about God if it is true. All right, we'll pick it up there next week. But, but until that time, may the peace of God be upon you and your families as we continue to navigate profoundly uncertain times. And may you find joy in unexpected places this week as you prepare for a Christmas that has the potential to be like no other. Finally, may you take some time in the next few days to consider what it means that at Christmas, grace came back. See you next week.